In this episode of Undictated, we go into a crazy story, really. Uh, Hannes Stradrom, Paul O'Sullivan were on Biz News TV in October, made some incredible allegations. And uh, we're now going to see that there's all is not what it seems to be. So let's just uh, recap a little before we introduce Nikki Troll, who's the producer of the insert at carte blanche that uh, focused on Hannes Stradum. And it's, it's really good to be able to be talking with, uh, with Nikki today. Hannes Stradum was a member of the Springbok Rugby World Cup winning team in 1995. He played 21 tests for the Springboks. He was a, a bit of a, a legend. He was also a chemist. He had a big business, a pharmaceutical business, 350 staff, and all seemed well. I didn't really know he existed until Paulo, not I knew he existed, of course, but I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't followed the story closely. And Paulo Sullivan uh, got a hold of me and said, there's a big story going on here. Hannes Stradum has been taken to the cleaners. He's been ripped off by 50 million uh, rand by a criminal syndicate inside his company. You need to talk to him and me. And so we did. We duly did that. In October, we started talking. Uh, we had an interview. It was quite sensational stuff. Um, <laughs> could have knocked me over with a feather with some of the things these guys were saying. But it gets more interesting still. In essence, what they were claiming was that there was a criminal syndicate within Hannes Stradum's company. And this criminal syndicate went to carte blanche. Carte blanche followed their point of view and then published the story, and Hannes said he had been the victim. Now, it all gets really strange a month later, because on the Friday afternoon, Paul O'Sullivan cancels his account with Hannes Stradum. On the Sunday evening, Hannes Stradum is driving a vehicle in which he's with another person. Uh, he has an accident, and he dies. So two days later. Subsequent to that, that was on the 19th of November. Subsequent to that, Everything's been pretty quiet. Paul says he doesn't want to talk anymore because he never talks ill of the dead. Uh, ill of the dead. That's quote. He will not talk because he does not talk ill of the dead. He's a Catholic. And so we're going to have to leave that down one line. But Nikki Troll uh, from Carte Blanche. Nikki, I, I did say to John Webb, your executive producer, come on, man, there's got to be more to this. You guys don't make mistakes like this. What is going on? And John said, we will talk when we can. Our lawyers will let us talk when we can. And now here we are. So, I, I mean, I've seen some bizarre stories in my time, but this one seems to take the cake. Uh, the story was very clear for us, Alec, um, when we started it. And we feel that our, our investigation also broke it down very clearly. If anyone watched the piece from start to finish, it was very clear what the issues were, what the investigation looked at, and um yeah, we stand by investigation. I want to say off the bat that we have no issues with Mr. Sullivan whatsoever. And if anything, I feel for him because it seems like he was misled as well in all of this with everything that has come out subsequent to our investigation that we did initially. Um, you mentioned that it was implied that we were misled by a criminal syndicate. How do they know who we spoke to other than the people that were on camera? Um, it's It's a big leap of... I don't know. You know, it's a big statement to make based on what. Um, so, yeah, so we stand by investigation. We started actually 
in February, I was contacted by a source. I had done a story then about fraudulent vaccination certificates that involved one of Mr. Stradom's pharmacies. So some of my sources contacts knew that I'd looked at the pharmacy before. It came to me completely independently. Um, for the record, the report's recent coverage about Mr. Stradom's personal life, we knew about that in February, but we chose not to cover it because we aren't interested in sensation. We stick to facts. Um, I can tell you that when I was contacted, some of the information that came to me was from 2017. Off the bat, I said, this is old. I can't do a story about something that's not current. If we're going to look at a story, I'd need to establish that what we are saying is still happening. And that's what I did. Um, the crux of this whole thing in the story, we made it abundantly clear that our investigation was focused on transgressions or irregularities, call them what you want, from mid-2022 to August 2023. We said it a couple of times in that story, but it didn't seem to come through in your interview. I don't know why people kept on missing it. At least three times it was made clear that it was from mid-2022 to August 2023. So we never denied that there was criminality. We did interview Mr. Maton, who Mr. O'Sullivan and Mr. Stradom identified as a ringleader in a lot of their, their details. Um, we never denied his involvement. But again, the focus of our investigation was on the period after he had left. That implies that he could not be responsible for it because he wasn't working there. But somehow... People did not pick up on that, and I honestly don't know why. I went back to my script. We actually said it three times. So, um, yeah, and then we focused on actual transgressions. We I don't know if you want me to go run through the story. I, I think that's – maybe we can just we can just stop there for a – or just pause there for sure. a minute. So what, what was being told to Biz News was that – Stradham was the innocent party and that Mouton was the bad guy. But Mouton, as you say, didn't even work there at the time that these transgressions were going on. So He did work there. He did work there. And while he was there, there were transgressions. And he doesn't deny it. He didn't deny it in the carte blanche piece. But the carte blanche piece looked at transgressions after he left. Um, but that's a point that was never raised in that interview that they did with you. And seemingly people just left that out. And I think that is the most crucial point is that the focus of our investigation was after Maton left. So how could we be swayed by Maton if we were telling a story that wasn't about when he was there? Um, I get it. But okay. So what was it just for those who haven't had the benefit of watching the carte blanche piece yet? What exactly was Hannah Stratum up to? The allegations were that his pharmacy group and his wholesale division traders were being used to sell codeine cough syrup products illegally to the black market. That it wasn't going to pharmacies, that they were selling bigger quantities than they should have. And yeah, that was the focus of it, proving whether or not illegal or illicit sales were being made to the black market of codeine. I don't think anybody disputes that. Even the O'Sullivan uh, Stratum interview didn't dispute that. What they disputed was his involvement. And I think that's really the, 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 the diversion point here. 
That's why it's so important to note that our story was focused from mid-2022 to August 2023, when the main person there was Mr. Stradon. One of the key elements in our story that we look at is illegal bulk sales that went through the Sunnyside pharmacies, cash tolls. At that time, Mr. Stradon was the responsible pharmacist on record for that pharmacy, a point we made very clear in our story, but also didn't come up in that interview. Um, yeah. So that was the cash sales we looked at was July 2023. It was a month after um, the forensic investigators came on board. And bulk sales, multiple cash slips, we've got them here. And um, difficult to show you, but they were on screen. So anyone that goes back to look at the Cop Lounge story, there was 1,020 bottles, there was 500 bottles and 80 bottles. All of this is illegal. Because in terms of the um, of legislation, when it comes to what I just want to get it right for you, was the, the um, in terms of Schedule Two medication, you can only sell a hundred bottles every five days to a person. So if you're selling two bottles, you're breaking the law. If you're selling a thousand and twenty, you're breaking the law. Well, it's a it's a criminal syndicate, isn't it? This is. This is uh, was street drugs. Very important. It's a criminal syndicate that you're mentioning. It's a criminal act. We didn't prove a syndicate. That was Mr. Sullivan and Mr. Stradom's claim. We proved that criminal transaction transactions of a criminal nature were being done. And those that I speak of now that we are in agreement are criminal was done when Mr. Stradom was the responsible pharmacist and the main culprit that they accused hadn't been at the business for a year. Is there any doubt in your mind from the research and the investigations, and you can actually show us your box of, uh, of papers if, if you would. Uh, so just, to, just for those who are not sure. There's my big crate of everything that I've been carrying around with me. On my desk, I have a lot of papers that I'm very excited to share with you because I can tell you now, um, when it comes to carte blanche, we go through, we jump through hoops to prove our stories beyond a reasonable doubt because we don't want to go, we don't want to just do a story because it's sensational, it sounds good. We do it because it's based on fact. And irrespective of whether it was Mr. Stradle or not, there was a pharmacy and a pharmacy chain and a pharmacist that had a wholesale license that was supplying codeine to the black market. So it doesn't actually matter who it was. The whole premise of the story, what it's based on, the investigation is based on, that is criminal. That deserved to be aired in the public interest. Um, and that seems to have all got caught up in, in the publicity around Mr. Stradle. Was he, I'm just trying to think here from a business perspective, was he getting more money for the sales into the illicit market than he would have made by selling it legally? Anything on the black market, you can sell more at a higher rate, whether it's, you know, it's what you pay for it and what you want to ask for. If it's illicit, you can charge what you want and people will pay for it. And I'm sure you've been, as you said, you've been following the articles and the report article recently. There were WhatsApps between Mr. Stradom and one of the pharmacists discussing the sale of cough mixture to the black market. It's a horrific um, problem, a very substantial problem in 
uh, in in the in uh, particularly in lower income areas where codeine has become a drug of choice for that's people. why it's such an important story to do but you know interestingly and i think this is where where i well where it it's becomes a bit tricky is like the extent that we went to to prove this story we spoke to current employees to past employees we got documents which we verified independently but yet i don't know how much research you did for your piece because they gave you a lot of information were you able to verify any of the details that they shared with you <laughs> it was an interview nikki it was yeah, all well, those on an, an on, mm-hmm. on an interview they were they were in and they were telling me their stories and i got hold of it after i got hold of john webb afterwards and said john what the heck is going on here and now we have this uh, because you 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 know O'Sullivan is a reputable guy and Hannes Stradom Springbok you you have to believe that uh, these guys have a right to uh, to put their side forward but what what you're now saying was uh, boy they don't know about O'Sullivan because he probably didn't know but uh, it appears as though Hannes was lying through his teeth um i hear what you're saying Mr Hogg but at the same time our story had already been publicized then So it wasn't just an interview, you know. We could have watched our story and we could have asked us about it before airing it because in our story we had all those documents on screen, all the details. You know, that's why we so strongly stood by our story. Um because you know, the documents and things that I have around me, the most crucial ones were on screen for anybody to see. Um all that evidence was there we never left it out and we were clear that you know we'd accumulated this over months but yeah you know, it's it's just sad when people are given a platform to just say what they feel without any verification and i think that was our biggest challenge because like i mentioned to you it, it definitely has reputational damage when we aren't given an opportunity to speak to those allegations essentially um at the time well, that was a Sullivan O'Sullivan has taken down two commissioners of police. I guess he's got uh, fair credibility. When he does an investigation, you should give him the right, at least, of of hearing him out, and of that's course, what he had done. Of course, as does Carl Blanche over thirty five years. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not a pissing match. I'm I'm trying to say to you that the, in cases like this, when you have somebody who's a reputable uh, forensic investigator like Paul O'Sullivan is, and in this case, as I said to you earlier, it appears as though he had the wool pulled over his eyes, despite watching your insert numerous times. I would presume, because that was that's his business. So I guess it happens, and the opportunity that we have now is really for you to to just explain. What the heck was going on there, and how someone as smart and as experienced as Paul O'Sullivan could have been uh, misled in this way? I can't speak for Mr. O'Sullivan. I just know from our side, we don't take anything at face value. So if someone comes to us and they tell us a story, it's just a story until I verified it. And especially when you deal with something as big as this, a chain as big as this, and something of such like you said public interest because of codeine addiction around the world we we really take it to heart and we go out of our way to 
make sure that we've got all our ducks in a row. So one of the interesting elements that also didn't seem to make it in the coverage after our story was the Coltonville Pharmacy. I don't know if you recall, um, there were sales being invoiced to a pharmacy in Coltonville. We drove to Coltonville more than one time. We actually found the landlord. We spoke to the adjacent shops. We found the owner of that pharmacy. You won't believe it. It didn't exist. It wasn't our story. There was no pharmacy. Yet there were invoices being put through at traders. You won't believe it. In April and May 2023, again, this year, on Hannah Stradom's watch, um, so that was one of our biggest discoveries because I was told this. I said, you won't believe it, the pharmacy doesn't exist. And I said, no, man, there's no way. I drove to Coltonville and true, there was no pharmacy. A new pharmacy was busy opening up. I'd gone about two weeks before we went with our form crew. And by the time we went with our form crew, the new pharmacy was there. But again, you know, you give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe it was open in May. Who knows? The landlord said no. I didn't leave it there. I went the extra mile and I tracked down the owner of that pharmacy that had that license. And he confirmed he was not open. He actually had no accounts with them. And he gave us all the details. And what I found interesting in your piece, Mr. Stradham at about 6 minutes 30, says that some of the invoices were put through to legal entities, but then they were cancelled, so it never got onto the system. So... When I heard that, you know, I thought, no, man, that's not true. But I can tell you it isn't. With those Colton Ball ones, again, it's difficult to show you. But I've got my Colton Ball invoice here. It's invoice 1306000 for 2,500 bottles of Bronclear for the 12th of May, 2023. Okay, so that's the one. And I thought, it must be on the system. It is on the system. If you go to the stock ledgers... You can see, it's very small. You're not going to be able to see it, but I can tell you here it is. Same date, 12th of May, same invoice, invoice 1300, Spa, the, the pharmacy at Spa Coltonville, and the amount for the, 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 the units is 2,500. So it definitely got into the system. Um, maybe some of them didn't, but in the cases that we looked at, 100%, we triple-checked, double-checked, and yeah, we stand by our story. It's one that I'm actually very proud of. It was a lot of digging. It was a lot of legwork. There is uh, also a lot of research that Paula Sullivan did uh, as a forensic um, investigator. He sent me piles and piles of information, which I had to look through. I remember it from the retail trade where I did have a little exposure. We owned a, a health shop once, as I mentioned in that story, and uh, we got we got taken by a guy who uh, knew how to play the GRV or the goods received vouchers game. Uh, and it, it is something shrinkage within retail is huge. So it wasn't a surprise. What has been a big surprise to me in all of this was that Paul O'Sullivan uh, found later that Hannah Stradom had actually brought him in even though Hannes Stradum appears, allegedly, and it, it certainly is uh, supported by your investigations, to have done so knowing that he wasn't actually in the clear. So that's strange. That doesn't happen to me very often where a guilty party 
if he is, uh, comes on and and talks, especially when he brings in someone like Paul O'Sullivan along to proclaim his innocence. Uh, because at some point in time, it's going to be found out. So I just don't understand any of that. And of course, now Hannes Kratom is dead. So we, we probably never will know why he thought the way he did. Like you've said, and we've said it, you know, it's, it, it really does seem that Mr. O'Sullivan was misled. But I think the key difference between Mr. O'Sullivan's investigation and ours is that ours focused on cases from August 2022 up until, sorry, mid-2022 up until August 2023. And I think Mr. O'Sullivan's investigation, from what I understand, was looking around the time of Niku Muton. Niku Muton resigned in July 2022. We have that resignation letter. And I suppose one of the key differences in our investigation is that we had multiple sources and we had multiple people supplying us with different documentation we were able to verify. Well, I'm not sure, I've never been a forensic investigator, I don't know how it works, but I presume your client gives you access to, to what they want you to have access to, where we had the benefit, and as carte blanche we do this, we don't, we don't take the first version. You go and you verify and you check and you are hardest on your sources because they are the ones that are bringing you the story. Um, and why are they bringing you the story? Most are always questions. So you go and you source things independently, and that's what we were able to do. Um, so I think the key difference for us is that Mr. O'Sullivan's investigation looked at a different time period. Ours focused more on this year after Nikumaton's time. Because you know, main allegation, as for our story, was that he didn't act alone. He acted on instruction of Mr. Stratum, and Mr. Stratum was involved. How do you prove that? You prove that it carries on when he's no longer there, and that's what we did. Brilliant. Nikki Troll, thank you for giving us the insights uh, today on a really bizarre story, uh, one that, as I said uh, earlier, is, is very strange to me that somebody who appears to have been a guilty party, wanted to proclaim his innocent by bringing the one guy who's actually not going to do that for you. Uh, and then that guy did get do it for you. And then he changed his mind, I guess. But uh, I suppose well then, mm. it is, I don't think what Mr. Sullivan found was wrong. I think there was, there was criminality going on for a long while. Um, it's that Mr. Stratum's involvement after the fact, anything. And like I said, it's, you know, it's, yeah, we feel for him. It's, it's difficult to be misled by your clients. And I suppose, yeah, who knows why Mr. Stratum went ahead. Strange story. But thank you very much and keep up the amazing work that you guys do at Carte Blanche. As you say, 35 years and uh, the, the legacy that, that was, that was the proud legacy of Derek Watts continues to this day, as we can see. And certainly from what you've shared with us with your box of tricks over there. And, uh, Look forward to the next time. Nikki Troll is a producer with Carte Blanche. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 